In this episode of BOS Coalition's interview series, I had the pleasure of speaking to Janice Song, with whom I chat about their work with the Asian American Federation, in addition to their thoughts on Korean values. As we discuss the translation of East Asian culture into adult life, the notion of maintaining cultural expectations is brought up. They also note that, quote, I just wanted to emphasize that despite some shortcomings as a community, I've also learned how to build and maintain community through my Korean slash Asian American culture slash community. Our cultures are known to be more of a collective mindset, though to a fault at times, as I touched on, and that mindset really showed through in how my community showed up for my family during tough times financially, emotionally, and otherwise. Our community is always trying to better one another, and I think that value is also something that drives me and my work day. Hi. Hello. So good to meet you. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, this yeah, morning. of course. Um, yeah, so my name's Ava, and I would love if you could just give me a brief introduction, you know, talk about who you are, your current job position, where you're from, anything, anything that would just describe you. Okay. Um, my name is Janice Song. Uh, my pronouns are they, them. I'm 23. I'm from a little bit all over the place. <laughs> I'm, I was born in Korea, raised in California, and now I'm living in New York. I'm currently working as a safety programs coordinator at the Asian American Federation in New York. So I help um, pretty much like help manage our Hope Against Hate campaign, which is our anti like against anti-Asian hate campaign. Mm-hmm. And um, I, yeah, I do that. And I also do like makeup on the side. Um, and yeah. Very, very everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so would you mind talking about your childhood and, you know, how you grew up and obviously you had a different life growing up both in Korea and in the U.S. So maybe you could touch on that. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, actually I like moved to America when I was two. So, um, I don't really remember much about Korea, honestly, <laughs> um, but my, so my dad is a pastor. So I grew up very much in the church. Um, but we also, I like moved around quite a lot in both in SoCal and, um, and then I also moved to the Bay Area in middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the reasons we moved around so much was just that um, I, we, like my family comes from like a low income background. So, you know, rent is, is expensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like that was just a thing we had to deal with. Um, I have two younger brothers and so I'm the oldest. So I'm very much, unfortunately, I'm a little bit, very much that um, like eldest daughter trope a little uh-huh. bit. <laughs> um, yeah, so that is definitely a thing in my life as much as I don't want to be a stereotype. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, like, do you want, do you want like any certain details about like how I grew up or anything? Maybe just the, fi- the family dynamic. I know I'm, I'm an older sister of two younger brothers as well. So I kind of understand how <laughs> that can dictate mm-hmm. your life. So maybe a little bit about your, di- your family dynamic and how that influenced you as a person. Yeah. Um, so I'm, yeah, like I said, I'm definitely like the oldest sister type, um, trope. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was kind of, you know, especially because we weren't like the most resourced or richest family. I definitely, definitely had a lot of responsibility and I know that shaped, um, a lot of how I am today. Mm -hmm. And, um, my brothers are two years younger and five years younger. Um, but I'm still kind of like third parenting them. <laughs> right, right. Um, 
Yeah, my and part of it now is the fact that like um, they don't really listen to my parents anymore. They'd rather listen to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but another part of it is that when we were younger, my parents were both really busy. So my dad was working like really late, um, especially because at the time he was a pastor, but he was we were like never part of like a huge church which is also one of the reasons we were like low income. So he was like always doing a million different things at the church, like pretty much like running the church when he didn't really have to because we just didn't have as many like staff people. And so, and my mom was also like always helping him. So I remember as a kid, like um, we, I just like to care of my brothers a lot. um, And that was like a responsibility I was told to assume really early on. and I don't really think it like robbed my childhood in any way, but I definitely like um, realized, especially as I got older, that I had to be mature in ways that like not everyone had to. Um, right. And like learn to like cook meals for my brothers really early on and like just like take care of them and like make sure they didn't get into shit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, so like my brothers and I are like fairly close. Um, but it's interesting, especially I think this comes um, from like Korean culture, like we're really close, um, but like not necessarily affectionate. Um, exactly. Yeah. And right. I think that's like a common thread in a lot of like more traditional Asian families. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, even with my parents, um, it was family dynamics wise, like my family has always been close as in like, we will always have each other's backs. And I know that even like as a 23 year old, my, my parents are always telling me like, you know, you can always come home, like mm-hmm. whatever is happening, you can always come home and this is your home. And like, that's something I do really appreciate. Um, yeah. They've always been like pretty open in that sense, um, but also in certain ways, like they are pretty traditional. So um, like growing up, I was told very much like, you know, don't dress like this, don't do that, you know, especially because we're Christian too. So like Christian plus Korean, I think that's a very interesting dynamic. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, so that's kind of, how I just kind of grew up as like the older, like eldest daughter, like golden child. I had a lot of expectations on me, um, especially because not only was I the oldest daughter, I was also the pastor's daughter. <laughs> so I was like, very aware that it was a kind of visible like position in my community like people were always telling me like oh you're the oldest um you're the pastor's daughter so you gotta like you know like behave yourself or just like um be a good example so I was kind of like taught to just like get good grades and um be really nice and take care of everyone who's younger than me right Um, and I don't think I necessarily resented it um at all I I, you know, that's something I just did because also I ended up having high expectations for myself. Um, but also, you know, that is a lot to put on a child. <laughs> yeah, um, I totally can understand that. <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, growing up, I had some processing to do with later on. But um, I think based on that type of background um, and the fact that my family is very, a little more traditional in certain ways, um, Um, later on in the future like I ended up really having to just sit down with my family and like talk to them um, about like communication and like emotion and like how as a family we don't really talk about our emotions but I need that or like I need communication that's very explicit that's not very 
you know, the traditional Korean way. And it's kind of funny because my dad was saying like, you know, like we're Korean, we just don't do that. Like, you know, you see someone having a hard time and you like, you don't say anything, but you're just there. And then <laughs> that's something my dad said. And I was like, well, I'm telling you, like even while growing up, that's that like going about things that way did not help me. And I don't need, like, I can't have something like that anymore. Like I need communication. And it wasn't until I old, I was older that we kind of really got around to that. But, you know, um, that was something I realized because, you know, growing up, my parents were kind of like traditional, like, you know, I got spanked and shit. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. so um, yeah, it's, you know, very, that type of upbringing. Right, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And you kind of touched on this, but how do you think your heritage influence the person that you are today and I'm sure you know there were all, all, obviously cultural values that shaped the way your parents parented you and the way you were mm-hmm. brought up but um kind of how that like permeated into your life even yeah. as an adult um yeah yeah um yeah I think Korean culture is really interesting in that like um there are a lot of like hidden expectations almost like um and I think I think this is true like a lot of like East East Asian cultures like people have high expectations of each other you're supposed to kind of be perfect you can't really expose your mistakes um and um and I don't know I think honestly I feel like I could talk about this forever (laughs) I think there are a lot of ways like our cultural background kind of like influenced the way um I was brought up um like one like I mentioned um my parents talked about like not really um not really like communicating explicitly in that way um their thing was really just like supporting me and Mm -hmm. I think um you know thankfully they weren't the type of parents to be like you have to be a doctor when you grow up they were a lot more like just be happy um and like make sure you're like safe and like not poor not too poor (laughs) um and so like in that way I think that was kind of a departure from the typical like Asian like you know model minority type thing that that a lot of um people kind of fall into but um I think like wait let me try to like think and like (laughs) um elaborate on this a little better um I feel like in one part growing up um because of my culture I was very proud of like who I was and my identity that was one thing my parents never let me forget like um they didn't really like you know I got packed like kimbap and stuff like that for school and like it wasn't I packed Korean foods and I wasn't like embarrassed. So I'd never had that like stereotypical, like, ooh, Asian lunch thing. Um, and I was never like, I did, when I grew up in SoCal, I did go to a lot of schools that were pretty like white people heavy. Um, yeah. But I never really felt insecure about my identity because my parents, and I think having also like a Korean church community helped in that like I was around my culture a lot. So, you know, it wasn't something I was like insecure about or like unsure about. Um, there was a lot of like cultural pride, um, but at the same time, um, there were ways that like, despite, uh, despite that, um, because we were still like from a different culture, 
I remember my parents, you know, we spoke English to my parents at home, even though my spoke Korean, uh, my parents speak Korean to me still. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that, I remember was my parents sort of saying like, well, well, my mom was saying like, you know, I want you to speak English well, because um, if you can do English well, like you can go really far in this society. Um, like people won't make fun of you for your accent. And like, if you can do English well on tests, like you'll go really far in school. So mm-hmm. I do remember that. Um, um, and, you know, like now I have retained like a lot of my Korean, but unfortunately my brothers haven't. So that's like a little bit sad. Um, and that like, despite having that cultural pride, we still felt those pressures um, growing up in California. And I think um, just like other ways are like culture kind of influenced my growing up was definitely I think definitely like the, I think Koreans are very particular about like public presentation. So like, you know, um, especially in a Korean Christian church, like I had to dress very like modestly um, and be very mindful of how I treated people around me because Koreans gossip. (laughs) Koreans definitely (laughs) gossip so much, um, but they act like they don't, you know, I think that's, it's kind of like, you know, all cultures, it's kind of like the auntie culture type thing, like the ajumans always say shit. Um, but that was also something I was very aware of. It's like, you know, um, don't act like this, don't dress like this, because people will look at you and judge you. Or like, I think another part of it was that I um, um, am like female body. And so like, um, mm-hmm. another aspect was like, you know, as a as like being raised women at the time, even though I now identify as non-binary, like I'm still very much femme. And I, you know, a lot of like dangers do come with that in her society, unfortunately, but the way um, I feel like a lot of Korean culture kind of goes around it is like shaming the woman. Um, and like, oh, don't dress like that because men will look at you or you don't do that because men will look at you. And instead of being like, well, why are the men looking at me like that? <laughs> it was like the, the woman's fault um so I do remember a lot of that growing up like I was very like you know what you might call like a tomboy um and I was like very rough as a child like I would like rough house with guys and like you know do all that all sorts of things and I had a lot of people tell me like oh you can't do that because you're a girl or like um you know don't act like that because you're a girl and things like that and um I just remember a lot of like I have to be conscious of what people um how people perceive me or how people are judging me I think that's like very much within Korean culture still like people are very afraid to maybe not necessarily afraid but there are a lot of like you know societal expectations on like behavior and like if you look like very different that means certain different things or like you're a little more like not mainstream so like you know people are just kind of unsure about that Mm -hmm. and um I think even now like I think I definitely pushed that as I got older because, um, you know, I just figured myself out and I decided I don't really give a fuck about what people yeah. are thinking and it doesn't matter. And um, at the end of the day, I'm going to be objectified by men. So I might as well just be how I want to be. <laughs> and, um, and I think in like, especially like, I know that how I look at right now, like right now I have like, five facial piercings and like I have green hair 
and I wear like very loud clothes and I realize that uh, and I'm always in platform boots so I know that like I don't look the most conventional um, and I think when my mom initially saw me kind of going that direction she was a little like afraid I think just for me and also I remember when I first got like my nose piercing she was like oh my gosh like you can't go to church like that people are going to see you and like talk and blah 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 and um I was like well I don't understand why it matters if other people talk like and you know I you know brought some points against her like church is supposed to be you can come as you are blah 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 you know right why does it matter so much about what people are thinking those Korean ajama shouldn't be talking shit anyways <laughs> um so I eventually like wore my pranks down at this point they understand that this is very much my self-expression and um I think they've listened to many of my points that I brought up um, but I think like I don't think that was all just because they were Christian I think a lot of it was that Korean culture of like kind of conformity um and like a lot of it too was like oh if you dress like this it reflects badly on your parents or like if you act like this it reflects badly on your parents so um I think that's a, also a big thing in Korean culture is like you're so tied to like your family and you can't like it's kind of like that you know I'm thinking of that Mulan scene like dishonor on your family um, <laughs> so like it's very much you know especially as the oldest child you have to like kind of bring honor to your family um and I think initially my parents were worried that if I looked a certain way people would think I wasn't doing that but I've you know I've proven them wrong I'm living on my own in New York City with a great job <laughs> mm-hmm. looking the way I do so um yeah I worked through it but I definitely do feel that like certain aspects of our culture like and um different parts of their background kind of influenced the way I had to navigate things and like things I had to navigate at all but um we're working on it (laughs) yeah yeah and I actually wanted to ask you about your involvement in the Asian American Federation so yeah was can you talk to me about your position there and then also how you became involved like was there a Mm -hmm catalyst to your yeah to be involved or yeah yeah so um I graduated last June um in New York and then I was looking for jobs and actually the first job I got out of graduation was at a corporate law firm (laughs) Mm -hmm. which I hated (laughs) but the reason I went into that job first was um I so I majored in psychology double minor in like sociology and hispanic studies Mm -hmm. and I I've always been really passionate about just like social justice issues, um, especially because of my background being like low income, um, Asian, and later on in my life, identifying as queer. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, because of that, I knew that I wanted to do something to like make a difference in the world as like a lot of people do. Um, and initially I was like, okay, I will try and go to law school, get the information I know that is really valuable, a bit like expensive. <laughs> and um, try to do things that way because you know in this in today's society like having that sort of status unfortunately does help a lot Um, so I got this like corporate law job I was like a pretty much like a paralegal um, and I hated it because I felt that it was very pointless to just being doing like corporate work where millions of dollars pass in front of me while in my personal life I was helping out for mutual aid and people were begging me for like $10 every day Um, so it just felt very detached from like the reality of the world and they would also do very basic like 
um, you know, they'd be like, oh, put your pronouns in your, in your like email signature and everyone would misgender me. So um, there was that. Um, and I just worked a lot there and didn't get paid enough for what that giant law firm was. And so I started looking for a different job. I like realized that, okay, I talked to myself a lot and I was like, do I want to just do this for two years and get into law school? Is that worth it? Or like, do I need to be doing something right now? And I came to the conclusion that I really needed to do more direct action now because uh, I told myself, you know, at the state society then right now, I'm not, I personally am not comfortable just like sitting around and like getting a really expensive education to do who knows what. Um, And also, you know, there is the fact that like, when you do have those higher levels of education, at times you can get even more disconnected from like the populations that you're actually trying to help. because you are like so up there, like you don't even see what's on the ground. And like, that's what I was seeing a lot from like these lawyers who like said they were helping and being diverse and all that. Um, And so I started looking for a job while I was actually still at that job. (laughs) And I was really fortunate to um, find the Asian American Federation. Uh, And I did know their work previously. I had um, someone else I knew from college who was working there, but I hadn't really like looked into them too much, but then I saw that they had this safety programs coordinator position open and I was like, oh my gosh, this sounds like exactly the type of work I want to do, like right. working to build communities, um, build safety within communities that's outside of like um, like institutional like or law enforcement safety. And so I, I literally interviewed for the job while I was still at that office. <laughs> and then I turned in my two weeks, had a great Christmas and started in January at the Asian American Federation. Yeah. Um, so now I, I work on the Hope Against Hate campaign, which is, um, it's, it was the AAF's response to basically like the jump in anti-Asian hate crimes with the start of the pandemic. And with the campaign, there are like many different programming areas. And I, what I do is kind of like manage all those different programming areas, make sure that the community organizations we partnered with, like are getting all their stuff done. Um, and like, you know, just helping them facilitate all that and making sure that we maintain the connections we make with all these different organizations and continue to draw in different connections with like whatever smaller organizations um, we can find um, mm-hmm. and support. Um, because one of the, I, I like to think of the AAF as like, you know, there's the government up at the top and like the really, you know, smaller community organizations, like smaller mutual aid grassroots wars. AEF's kind of in the middle helping them like advocate from the government like advocate for all the money we, sh- we deserve as a community um all the resources we should be getting um and passing that all down to the smaller organizations so that they can like locally um resource their communities and um as part of the campaign we have um like a reporting form that's been centralized and translated so that people who are uncomfortable with law enforcement or like unable to like reach law enforcement can like have somewhere to report and we can also collect data because we know that um not all hate crimes are reported like that right yeah and yeah and then we also have um and we also like help with victims who request support through that so we will connect them to resources and then um, I also help. So there, and then there's the community safety program, which is like underneath like the Hope Against Hate umbrella. 
-hmm. And with that program, we offer safety workshops that focus on like de-escalation, um, both virtually and in person with a training partner called Nonviolent Peace Force. And then we also have safe zones in, where um, with our community organizations, um, they like partner with different businesses, community centers, faith centers to either be a place that just hands out resources to people about our um, Hope Against Hate program and the different resources they can reach out to if they need help. Um, and also like to literally be a safe haven if like someone is feeling unsafe on the streets. Right. Um, and then we also have um, the community, community companion volunteer position, which is where people can sign up to help with protective accompaniment. So like safe walks um, or like language assistance, like during um, of like our content or during our workshops and also just general community outreach, which is like canvassing for these safe zones or just helping out at different events we have. Um, and um, AAF offers all these programs, but we most, we like kind of like funnel people to different organizations. So we've, we have um, administered grants to like 33 different organizations and they all kind of manage the local runnings of each of these program areas but AAF kind of like oversees it all to make sure everything's running smoothly and that each organization has all the resources they need. Um, so that's kind of like my job, like doing, <laughs> running all of that. Yes, a lot. Um, Sounds like a lot. And yeah, um, but I really do love it. I really enjoy it um, because I, you know, if this is exactly the type of work I wanted to do. Like, and I get to talk to different community leaders like every day and connect with all sorts of people and just figure out how we can work together to, you know, help our community. Um, because in New York City, um, the Asian American commu community is one of the largest growing, but we are the least resourced in comparison to like the other, um, like other ethnic groups. Um, and, um, and I also get to like speak directly with victims and like, you know, that is really tough. It definitely takes more of like a mental emotional toll than like a corporate job would have. But, you know, since it's something I'm very passionate about and since my workplace is so like everybody I work with is so kind and everybody checks up on each other all the time. So we've really fostered an environment that's very, um, you know, very loving and very like, you know, not too hard to work in. It's even if we have like a ton of things to do um, because we're, we are a large federation um, in terms of like the work we do. Um, but. I think right now there's only like 18 of us um, and yeah so that's kind of how I got into it yeah so I was also wondering you know you you're a very passionate advocate um so can you speak on the issues that are dearest to your heart and I know obviously you're really passionate about Asian American uh, like stopping Asian American hate um but you know adv advocacy doesn't just stop there for you it seems so where what are you, what are you really passionate about? Um, yeah. What opinions about? I think one thing that's really close to my heart is um, just like all the issues that come with income inequality, just because of my personal income background. Mm -hmm. um, I despise money. <laughs> I see it as just like, you know, well, I despise the way like money is utilized in this country, but um, like I'm always sharing like a lot of like mutual aid posts and you know I don't really like make it super public but I do also like try to consistently redistribute whenever I get my paycheck um yeah. and 
um yeah like all the issues that come with that in terms of like I think you know that's a very broad issue with incoming inequality comes like housing issues and like um just like you know like regular resources that we are like missing and um I think that's you know that definitely comes for a very personal spot Mm -hmm. um and then I think also just like racial justice in general um in and not only just for the Asian American groups, but also especially for like Black Indigenous folks, right. um, because at the end of end of the day, they are the most um, like marginalized folks. Like historically, they have like the roughest history in America, and until those groups are really fully liberated, no one else is going to be. Because you know, if people continue to see um, folks who aren't white as the other, then there is nothing really that's going to be solved mm. um and um and on top of that I think I think those are like kind of my top two like from those stem a lot of different issues of course right. um and I think those are just at the forefront of my mind because of my personal background um and and then also um I guess that um like LGBTQ issues especially with the way like trans rights and reproductive rights have kind of been rolled back recently in a lot of different states um is honestly very frightening because i don't think people fully realize like the direction that can really go i think people right now see that as just like a, um oh that's just like a lgbtq issue but right. people don't realize that once you know it's just like racial issues you know if one group is marginalized if one group is oppressed then that just lead like paves the way for everyone else who is a little bit marginalized to be oppressed. And I, I you yeah. know, people were like so shocked about the Roe v. Wade issue. Um, and the thing was, if you had been following what was happening across all these different states and political sphere, it really wasn't shocking. I mean, it definitely was like disheartening and like heartbreaking, yeah. but um, the way like trans rights have been steadily being rolled back, the way that like queer rights are kind of being threatened um, and that, you know, that just leads to like more policing of bodies, which of course means like reproductive rights being um, threatened. So to me, it wasn't really a surprise when the Roe v. Wade decision, like the draft decision um, came out because I had been following the ways that like, you know, people are literally making it illegal for trans children to like do anything to their bodies and, um, and making it illegal for parents to provide that care, which is like absolutely ridiculous. I will never understand how a government can govern a body like that. Um, but um, yeah, I think those are issues that people need to pay attention to. I don't think, I think people often forget like, oh, it's not exactly um, related to me or my identity, so it's fine. But like I said, like, um, you know, when one group is oppressed, that just allows others, other groups to keep being oppressed. Um, so I think those are like kind of my I guess those are kind of my like top three like things I think about all the time but right you know every in issue is so connected to the other um so I think it's kind of hard to separate them I think in terms of like when you're trying to work on an issue that's when you have to like really like focus on ones but at the end of the day I'm just I'm just passionate about like um you know making sure we live in a livable equitable society yeah um and yeah yeah well I mean I think what you're doing is so inspiring and I really 
just want to applaud you for all the work that you're doing. Thank you. Um, yeah, thank you so much for spending, you know, half an hour with me to talk to me about your life and what it is that you do. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, it was so great to, to speak with you and meet you. Yeah, of course. Thank you for selecting me to speak with. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And I will make sure to send all of this to you and, um, you know, let you know when everything comes out. So thank you mm -hmm. so, so much again. Yes, of course. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time. BOS Coalition is an organization founded by Ava McCullum to shed light on Asian stories and share the experiences of those who have fundamentally changed their respective occupational fields. You can learn more about BOS by visiting our Instagram at BOS Coalition.